Thank you for joining us this week on The Tongue with Dr. Mike. I'm so glad you're back with us again. As always, make sure you visit our website, thetonguespeakslife.com, where you can access our most recent podcast over the, the past few weeks. Of course, if you want access to our full catalog of podcasts uh, from before, go to uh, psalm346ministries.org. You can get episodes of The Tongue with Dr. Mike, and you can access all of Pillars of Heaven on there. And take notice, we are on Facebook under Psalm 346 Ministries. Make sure you join that group, right? Make sure you're listening to Pillars of Heaven as well. That podcast with JB and Brianna and myself, we have special guests on there. We cover a wide range of topics. Uh, remember, the thetonguespeakslife.com or Psalm 346 Ministries. You can click and read about all of our outreach missions, like a Bible for every believer. And like I said before, I can't emphasize this enough. If you need a Bible, please reach out, talk to us. Psalm 346 Ministries on Facebook, thetonguespeakslife.com. They're, they're free. They're a blessing for our ministry. And if you want to donate to anything on our sites there, um, the Cure International is there. Luke 9.2 says, you know, sent them out to heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom of God. They're doing that through global network of pediatric surgical hospitals. They all serve children. They revolve around children. The future is children. Go check out Cure. You can donate right to Cure right on the site there. You can support the tongue. Uh, right at the bottom of the tonguespeakslife.com. All the donations there go to support all of our missions going on right now. And that's from everything. The Tongue with Dr. Mike, Pillars of Heaven, our out, outreach programs, Bibles for Everyone, our, our Easter Drive. Uh, you know, a special thank you to everybody who's donated already. You know who you are. Uh, you are a blessing to those in need. And, and remember, you know, as we uh, move forward with this mission, um, and especially if you listen to our phone conversation with Pastor Simon on Pillars of Heaven, uh, we're partnered with Bushfire Church in South Sudan, and we're sending supplies to our brothers and sisters in need. You know, get involved there. Every dollar counts. Shipping costs are out of this world. Um, they take care of over 100 orphans. We're doing special fundraising drives. You know, head there right now. If it's on your heart, uh, we, we need to get the Word of God into their hands. Right, we'll, we'll be sending school supplies and clothing and everything you can imagine. Right, believers are under attack; they're in need of Christian radio. With your help, we can supply that. Right, we're we're here to promote the kingdom of God. If it's on your heart, please give now. Right, and as our family keeps growing, I just want to say welcome back to everybody. No matter where you're listening to this, God bless you. Thank you, God, for making this program reach far and continue to push us for Your glory. And today's topic, we are talking about faith. Right. So how many of, of us can say that we have true faith, like real faith, unshaken faith? Uh, you know, I bet it wouldn't be many. You know, it, it's a struggle for a lot of us, for all of us. You know, everyone falls victim to it because we're, we're simply human. It's difficult to trust in something that you can't see, you know, or, or, or when you can't fathom a way that it's going to work out. I can tell you a lot of stories about faith, but, but what if faith is all you have to look forward to? Right there's no, there's no falling back on something if you you pray for an answer and it doesn't come, uh, you know if it's different if you have a plan B or a plan C. All right, for example, so how many of us know what it's like to not have enough money to pay your bills at the end of the month? You pray and pray and you trust God to provide it, but you know in the back of your mind you know if God doesn't provide a way, you can always ask your parents or your friends and you know that they'll give you some money. That's not faith, 
right? I've fallen victim to that too. You know, I've been in situations where I needed money, but I knew that if something didn't happen or God didn't open a door for me, I could lean on somebody else, you know, that I knew would help me. Is that faith? You know, is that exercising good faith? Faith has to grow, like like working out in a gym. You work that muscle and it gets bigger and bigger, and then you work it and you work it until you grow, until one day you're like the Incredible Hulk, right? So let's look at an example real quick of an example of faith that, that maybe you heard of, maybe you haven't. His name was George Mueller, right? George Mueller was originally a thief, right? Th- through his conversion, God made him a man of great faith and prayer, right? It goes to show that God can use anyone for his glory, you know, and we're going to touch on that in one second. But uh, Mueller was born in Prussia, which is modern day Germany, right? And, and this is 1805. His father was a tax collector and George would often steal from his father. You know, not only that, but he was a gambler and he was a drunk. You know, according to, to Mueller in 1819, he was 14 on the night his mother died. He was out with his friends, you know, getting drunk at a tavern, playing cards. He didn't even know his mother was dying, right? But in 1836, Mueller opened his first orphanage on Wilson Street, all right? At first, there were no children there. And then he realized, you know, him and his wife had to pray for children. They weren't praying. Once he started praying for children, they started pouring in. Mueller had to build multiple orphanages because of the demand. Eventually, there were too many children, right? And the neighbors started complaining about so many children there. So then he knew it was time to look for a new place, right? And as usual, he prayed for a future home for the orphanages, right? So the orphanages eventually moved to Ashley Down, where, where there's more, more room for all the children, all the orphanages. The orphanages grew there beyond compare. So George Mueller, he's, okay, 1805 to 1898. So that's the time period we're talking about. But he believed that he saw himself 50,000 answers to prayer, Right now, he wouldn't ask anybody for help, but just God. He asked God constantly for food, for food, for clothing, and he housed over his lifetime in Bristol, England, over ten thousand orphans. Right, so that's an example. And let me give you an example of how he trusted in God. Right, one morning the children were hungry as they got ready for school, so they all sat down and blessed the food that was to come. Right, So they sat down to empty bowls at the table and just sat there. So all of a sudden, there was a knock at the door, and standing in the doorway was the baker. He told Mueller that he couldn't sleep, so he decided, he decided to bake bread for the children. Right, And then the next moment, there was a knock at the door, and that was the milkman. And he said his truck broke down, and he just wanted to give all the milk to the orphans before it spoiled. So there was just enough food for the orphans to have their fill. Stories like that are, should be super encouraging. And, and what an exercise of faith to just sit there with nothing and thank God for what's about to show up, right? He became famous as one of the greatest men of prayer known to history. And, and you know, he wasn't always a saint. He wandered very deep in the sin before he came to Christ, right? Like I said, his dad was a tax collector and, you know, George would uh, steal from his father, right? He would steal and then he'd lie about what, what he did with the money. You know, that's just another example of how God can use someone who's not perfect, right? And the Bible's filled with stories of people who aren't perfect, yet God used them for his glory, right? So before you say you're not qualified, and we talked about this briefly, but I'm going to give you a list. Noah, Noah was a drunk, right? Abraham was way too old, way too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. You know, Jacob, Jacob was a liar, 
Leah was ugly. Joseph was an abused. Moses, Moses was a murderer, right? And he had a stuttering problem. Gideon and Samson were afraid. Rehab, or, or Rahab was a prostitute, right? Jeremiah and Timothy were considered way too young. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Elijah was, was, was suicidal, right? Isaiah preached, when, and he was naked when he preached, right? Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bank, bankrupt. You know, John the Baptist ate bugs in the wilderness. Peter denied Christ. The disciples all fall asleep when they were praying, right? Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was, was possessed by a demon, right? Paul was a murderer, right? Timothy was, had an ulcer. The, the stories go on and on, right? 1 Corinthians 4 says, for God who said, let, shine, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we, when we have these treasures in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us, right? So there's no excuse that you can come up with that God hasn't heard already, right? In 2 Corinthians uh Paul said, my grace is sufficient for you, right? He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me, right? My power is made perfect in weakness. Do we have the faith we need to fully understand that? To fully understand that no matter what, God can make a way or God has the answer or God's will is done? There's nothing impossible for God. That's the message you need to hear. That is what builds your faith. And that's what reinforces the calling on your life. That's what identifies the power in your day to day. Right? So what does faith mean? What does faith mean according to the Bible? The closest thing that, that the Bible comes to, to offering a, a definition is, is Hebrews 11.1, 1, where it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. From that passage, we see that the central feature of faith is confidence or trust. And in the Bible, the object of faith is God and his promises, right? A clear example of that is Abraham's encounter with God in Genesis 15. In response to God's promise of countless descendants, Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Comment, uh, like according to that, and then, then Paul comments on that and he writes, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's Romans 4, right? Thus, you know, faith means putting your trust in God and having confidence that he will fulfill his purpose. You know, but faith is more than that though, right? Imagine you're at Niagara Falls, watch, like watching a, a tightrope walker push a wheelbarrow across a tightrope over the falls, right? After watching him go back and forth a few times, he asks for a volunteer to sit in the wheelbarrow as he pushes it across the falls. So at an intellectual level, uh, you may believe that he could successfully push you across the rope over the falls, but you're not really exercising biblical faith until you get in that wheelbarrow and entrust yourself to that tightrope walker, right? Genuine biblical faith expresses itself in everyday life. James wrote that faith by itself, apart from works, is dead. Faith works through love to produce tangible evidence of its existence in a person's life. So put another way, the obedience that pleases God comes from faith rather than a mere sense of duty or obligation. There's a big difference in the world between the husband who buys his wife flowers out of delight and the one who buys them simply out of duty. 
Faith is so important because it means by which it's the means that we have that relationship with God. Ephesians said, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. Faith is how we receive the benefits of what Jesus has done for us. He lived a life of perfect obedience to God. He died to pay the penalty of our sinful rebellion against God and rose from the dead to defeat sin, death, and the devil. By putting our faith in him, we receive forgiveness for our sins and the gift of eternal life. Right? So what does faith mean? Simply put, to explain it, like simply put, it's faith means relying completely on who Jesus is and what he's done to be, what he has done uh, to make us right with God. Right? So there's a couple characteristics of lasting faith that you should uh, strive to have or, or their evidence in your life. And, and a lot of it is assurance of God's promises, right? Faith is not living with our fingers crossed. It's a firm confidence in God and his promises to us. That's a sacrificial lifestyle. Faith, give God, faith gives God our first and our best, and it continuously seeds. Faith is not a one-time decision. Faith chooses to believe in God and follow him each day. It's, it's the obey in the hard things. A life of faith is rarely easy. Obedience to God often runs contrary to our culture and, and maybe even to your family. But you trust God when we don't understand. You don't often see God's big picture. Usually you just see the next step and then the next step. Sometimes the next step doesn't even make sense. But faith, God, you have to have that faith that God has a plan and the power to carry it out. That keeps an eternal focus, right? The best of God's promises to us are eternal. They won't be fully realized in this life. You have to trust God to do the impossible. Circumstances may feel insurmountable, but faith knows that God is all-powerful, and faith fears God rather than man. Faith doesn't allow threats by man to keep it from obeying God. It doesn't run after temporal pleasures, right? Faith chooses God over the pleasures of sin and the love of money, and, and it endures persecution for the sake of Christ. Although faith doesn't seek persecution, it stands in God. It stands firm when it comes, right? Faith needs an object. Our faith or our belief, our trust, our confidence, it needs an object. Our faith must be in something or someone, the one true God, the creator of all. That's the only one worthy of our faith. Faith involves bold action. You know, mo most of the things in Hebrews 11 involved a, a person acting boldly in accordance with the word of God. By faith, Abel offered God a superior sacrifice. Noah built an ark. Abraham obeyed by leaving familiar territory and later offered Isaac. Isaac blessed his sons, and one of those sons blessed Isaac's great-grandsons. The list goes on and on, right? Uh, the action words in rapid succession are, are they conquered, they administered, they gained, they shut, they quenched, they escaped, they, they became powerful, they routed. Faith acts out as a bold confidence, right? True faith is action taken in response to the unseen God and his promises. So faith, rather than merely uh, static belief or, or, or assent, spurs, it spurs you to act in accordance with God's truth. Its boldness uh, seems especially uh, to do with the fact that these great people of faith are backed by the unseen. They stepped forward with tenacity and confidence and with no perceptional reason for doing it. Yet God spoke, right? God has manifested himself and that is reason enough. Therefore, we too are called to have an active, bold faith, which reach and finds its reason in the unseen God.
Faith involves God working extraordinary miracles in the lives of ordinary people, right? If, if you go back to Hebrews 11, a lot of people call that the hall of faith. And they think uh, if you stop and reflect for a moment and you realize that there's much more going on there, um, you, for example, Noah got drunk and he laid naked in his tent, right? Abraham lied about Sarai. Isaac lied about Rebecca. Jacob lived the life of a deceiver. Moses committed murder. This is the list we go on, right? The people of Israel were a bunch of ungrateful grumblers, right? David was an adulterer. We said that. You know, we might think that the authors of Hebrew, like the author is uh, stretching things a bit and holding these people up as, as exemplary, but um, real faith must be expressed by real people, real people who have yet to reach these heavenly bounds, right? They're searching, but they haven't arrived. These are heroes, not because they're perfect, but because they worked with God and his perfect worked. So therefore, you know, we're, we are too eligible, us also, for an enlistment in that life of faith. Faith seems to be, you know, applicable to a variety of situations, right? Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, as, as much as there's support for the form of miracles that can be found everywhere in the New Testament, we have an offering, uh, you know, a building of a boat, a moving of a family, the ability to have a child, obedience and suffering that child back to God, blessings of children, seeing into the future, defying authority, the choosing of mistreatment over pleasure, the keeping of a, a religious ordinance, right? Faith involves conquering in war, deliverance from animals and fire and resurrection, right? Biblical faith has a variety of outcomes, right? Notice that the faith, uh, it sometimes has an immediate positive outcome, uh, you know, as when the children of Israel passed through the sea, the walls of Jericho fell, uh, widows received the dead back by resurrection. Yet, you know, we also find that faith can be rewarded with a delayed outcome or, or even a negative outcome. Abel still got murdered, right? Abraham had to wait for the son of the promise, Faith also seems to involve being tortured or mocked or beaten or destitute or stoned or put in prison or generally mistreated or, or mutilated. That doesn't fit easily into a sea of all wonderful things God wants to do in your life gospel, right? Yeah, but the picture is biblical. The application of this passage uh, must point out that faithful people sometimes do not see results in this life. However, faith is rewarded by God. One of the points uh, that, that you have to grasp is the significance of the ultimate. Faith involves believing that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, right? Our primary reward stands out in that chapter, uh, you know, God's uh, commendation, the well done, every true believer longs to hear, well done, thy true and faithful servant, right? So if you attend the church or you attend a Bible study or you listen to the word, uh, you might have heard these. I'm going to give you a quick 10 examples of faith in the Bible. And um, there, there's, man, there's so many amazing stories of faith. Um, but if you pick like the top 10, it, it's hard to narrow them down, right? There's, there's uh, the, the Bible's filled with overflowing stories, right? O over, over overwhelming people who followed guidelines to rank out, like faith is demonstrated in a desperate situation, or the person chooses faith at a great personal risk. Um, security, life and death are on the, on the line, right? There's an undeniable, miraculous movement of God in response to that act of faith, right? One of those, uh, one, one of those 
stories that I, I find amazing and you know, man, so many questions on it is Genesis 32, Jacob wrestling with God, right? So you know, talk about a man whose life was filled with family drama, right? After tricking his brother Esau, who threatened to kill Jacob out of his birthright and inheritance, Jacob fled to his uncle Laban's house. So many years later, Jacob decides to return home. And that's when he got the word that Esau was on the way to meet him with an army of 400 men. For Jacob, you know, this was the, the breaking point. He longed for a new life or a fresh start because his, his past haunted him. He tricked his brother. He lied to his father. And his name was a constant witness against him. The name Jacob means deceiver, right? So Jacob sent his entire family ahead of him and spent the night alone in camp. And that night, the Bible says a man appeared and a wrestling match broke out. Jacob fought relentlessly, but soon realized he was up against no ordinary man. He was wrestling with God himself. And yet, even though he couldn't win, Jacob would not give up, crying out, I will not let you go until you bless me. So in response to that act of faith, Jacob was given a new name, and that new name was Israel, right? So by faith, Jacob was given a new name and a new destiny. No longer would he be Jacob the deceiver. He would be Israel, the name given to God's chosen nation, right? Another example is, is the thief on the cross, right? Luke 23. Uh, on Golgotha, the place of the skull, Jesus was crucified between two thieves, Jesus was mocked by the surrounding crowd, all the religious leaders, the soldiers, even one of the thieves that hung next to him. But, but in that moment of mockery, something stirred in the heart of the second thief, and that was faith, right? So, so that thief rebuked his, guilt, his guilty conscience and defended the innocence of Christ. How difficult it could be to soften your heart when you've lived you know, so close, uh, you closed it off to God for so long. And yet that thief found the courage at the very end of his life to place his life in the hands of another dying man. So sensing the grace and forgiveness pouring out of the man next to him, the thief made a request, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. His words were vulnerable and sincere and filled with faith. And in response, Jesus spoke those words of eternal comfort. He said, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That story reminds us that there's no hour too late for faith, right? That man in his closing moments turned to Christ and found life. Our faith, no matter how little or how late, is never in vain when it finds its home in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ for his absolute trust in the most dire of circumstances, right? Another example, jump back to the Old Testament, is, is the walls of Jericho. And you can read that in Numbers, uh, I'm sorry, in Joshua. Um, and that's, you know, after crossing the Jordan River, the Israelis uh, are facing the first of one of their most impossible tests, right? They're, they're impregnable walls of Jericho. You know, when God led Joshua to Jericho, he led him to a city that couldn't be defeated. So if you read about it, the walls of Jericho were built on a great sloping embankment. At the base of the embankment was a retaining wall that was almost 15 feet high. And 46 feet above that, at the top of the embankment was another wall 26 feet high and six feet thick. There's simply no way, humanly speaking, that Joshua and his men could gain access to that city of Jericho. But God gave Joshua a battle plan, right? A plan so crazy that most of us would have rejected it. Right? God told Joshua and his army to march around the city of Jericho. And then after you know, marching on the seventh day, to have the army blow their trumpets and shout in victory. 
You know, at that point, God promised those walls of Jericho would collapse. So disregarding, you know, the skepticism probably of, of his soldiers and the ridicule of, of all the inhabitants of Jericho, Joshua believed God, right? He led God's people on that march. And on the seventh day, Joshua and his men let out a cry and discovered firsthand the power of faith. Jericho's walls collapsed, right? The city was routed. The promises of God always hold true for those who believe. Remember that. How about the woman who washes Jesus' feet in Luke 7? Right? That amazing moment of faith begins with Jesus accepting a, a dinner invitation from a Pharisee. And while he's at the man's house, a woman who is well known for her sinful lifestyle comes in with a jar of perfume. Right? And now, you know, there's skepticism on this, but it's estimated that that jar of perfume would have been worth a year's wages. So, moreover, you know, this expensive item was likely the woman's dowry. And to sacrifice this treasure was to sacrifice her future. And yet we read in Luke 7 that this woman broke open her jar, her jar of perfume and began to wash Jesus' feet with her tears, right? So this scene greatly offended the Pharisee who invited Jesus to dinner there. Why would Jesus allow a sinful woman to treat him in such a way? But Jesus defended the woman and used the occasion to teach a powerful lesson on love and forgiveness, right? According to Jesus, this woman's act of great love was in response to great forgiveness she'd received. So this woman, you know, in a single moment, sacrificed the most valuable thing she had. In response to that act of faith, Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's jump into to the book of Esther, right? Queen Esther. Esther was a queen whose faith literally saved every Jew living in the, the Persian Empire, Right? So King Xerxes selected her to be his queen, you know, and that's probably a good life for Esther. But behind the scenes, you know, a wicked plot was brewing in the heart of a jealous man there. And that, that man was slighted by Esther's guardian, and this offense motivated him to spearhead the passing of a new law, which called for the destruction of every Jew within the Persian Empire. So that law directly threatens the life of, of Esther and Mordecai, both, both who are born Jews. And as, as Esther uh, deliberates over what to do, her, her guardian gives her this strong, this strong exhortation. It says, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this, right? That's what she just kept repeating in Esther's heart. And she found the courage to approach the king uninvited. And that alone is a treacherous decision, right? For, you know, coming to, approaching the king without an invitation is punishable by death, right? But Esther had faith in God and she pleaded her case before the king. And the result is the plot was exposed, the conspirators were executed, and the Jewish people lived in Persia. Uh, the, the ones living there were saved from certain death, Right, and for her courageous faith, uh, wh what a blessing! What look how the, the the people survived, right? How difficult a decision that must have been. Think about David and Goliath, right? The shepherd boy who defeats a giant, you know. So the Philistines have their champion Goliath taunt the armies of Israel for forty days. Goliath, who was you know estimated to be over nine feet tall, challenged any man from Israel to race him to face him one on one for a winner takes all, right? So no one in all of Israel had the courage to face him. 
And that's when this little shepherd boy bringing lunch to his brothers wanders into the story, right? He hears the boasts of Goliath and David is outraged. He marches into the tent of King Saul and volunteers for duty. Saul tries to fit David in his armor, but David refused, right? He told Saul that as a shepherd, God had given him victory over lions and bears and that God would now deliver this giant into his hands. Saul was so moved by that young boy's faith that he sent him out to face him, right? Upon seeing David, Goliath mocked him, but David replied, you know, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. Right? So David runs toward him with his sling and let a single rock fly. And everyone knows how that went out, right? David's faith is God. That was unshakable. The size of the obstacle doesn't matter. He knew the size of his God. You have to get to that point. How, not how big is my problem? How big is my God? What about the Red Sea crossing? Exodus 14. One of the probably the, the greatest, one of the, the most known events uh, of faith is the Red Sea crossing, right? And that begins in Exodus. And this is after horrific 10 plagues have sh uh, this 10 plagues have gone into Egypt, into Pharaoh, and Moses and the Israelis are, are released from slavery, right? An entire nation of slaves walk out as Egypt, you know, as a conquering army, given what they asked for. You know, so, so Pharaoh looks over his devastation that the Hebrews leave uh, in their wake and he, his heart is hardened and he sets his army out to recapture this nation of former slaves. So in Exodus 14, we read that Moses had led God's people to the shore of the Red Sea. So suddenly there was a sound like thunder. The sound came from thousands of galloping horses, you know, as every chariot in, in Pharaoh's army appeared on the horizon. The hearts of Moses' followers began to melt in fear, and they began to cry out, why did you bring us here to die in the wilderness? So surrounded by these terrified people, you know, no way to cross the sea in front of them, uh, the enemy army at the back, Moses, filled with faith, calls out, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Moses raises his staff, the waters of the Red Sea part, right? The scope of that miracle is staggering. In a single day, the Hebrews are delivered and the armies of Pharaoh are drowned. Think about that. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Fiery Furnace, Daniel 3. This is after the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon, right? Jewish captives are relocated to serve in the Babylonian Empire. Among these captives are three young men that we know uh, by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, right? Although, you know, they served in, in, in a pagan empire, their hearts remain true to the living God. And their allegiance was put to the test when the Babylonian king commands that a giant golden statue of himself be bowed down and worshiped. So these, these three refused to go, right? With great faith, boldly defied the king. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Man, what arrogance of faith. How awesome. Right? That threw the king into a wild rage, and he demanded a large furnace be heated seven times hotter than its usual. Right? That furnace was so hot, uh, the flames left out and killed the people that were supposed to throw those three into the fire. Amazingly, the king looked in and three young men were alive, right? And more than that, there was a fourth man in them with them in the fire. 
So Nebuchadnezzar orders those three to take, be taken out of the flames, and he commanded that no one could speak a word against their God. That's faith, right? How about this story we talked about a couple weeks ago, Abraham and Isaac, right? That's unimaginable sacrifice. For all parents, that's perhaps the most gut-wrenching story in the Bible. It's, it's difficult to comprehend the faith it would take to offer the life of your own child to God. And yet that's exactly what Abraham was prepared to do in obedience with his own son, right? Isaac. The tension in that passage is excruciating, right? Isaac realizes that something's wrong. And then he asks his father, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Imagine what goes through your head, right? Abraham, having nothing other than faith in, in, in the character and goodness of God, replies, God himself provides the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And then they journey to the top of the mountain and Abraham places uh, his bound son upon the altar and raises his knife. And we know that the, the angel of the Lord cries out, Abraham or Abram at that time, do not lay a hand on the boy. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket. God provided the sacrifice and Isaac was set free to a new life, right? Because of Abraham's faith, which came at the cost of un unimaginable emotional pain and suffering, Right, but also it's because uh, it's one of the, the clearest Old Testament pictures we have of the gospel: a loving father who's willing to sacrifice his one and only son, only to have his son return to him alive. What about Mary, the mother of Jesus? This is the last example I'll, I'll give you. Right, we've covered some impossible moments, you know, on this list I just gave you: fiery furnace, Red Sea parting, walls of Jericho. Nothing's more impossible than a virgin becoming pregnant, right? Yeah, we read in Matthew 1 that the angel Gabriel appears to a virgin named Mary and tells her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. The choice that Mary had there is that's forever going to change her life. You embrace the plan of God, which results in a cloud of suspicion and shame hanging over her and her family for the rest of their life, right? It would cause her heart to suffer untold pain and grief as her son would die a brutal and unjust death. It, it would, you know, it would be placed on the front lines uh, of an eternal struggle between the forces of heaven and hell. Yet in spite of these things, Mary tells Gabriel, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. What a powerful statement of faith that is, right? And in response, the prophecy of Isaiah 7:14 was fulfilled that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Mary's words are an example to all who follow the Lord in faith. No matter the obstacle, no matter the cost, no matter the danger, we all would do well to make the words of Mary our own personal declaration of faith. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you said about me come true right? What's true today may not be true tomorrow, right? But James 1.17 says our God never changes. So what was true yesterday is true today and will be forever, right? Don't wonder what is true. Turn to the one who's true and who is the truth. Knowing Jesus means you can spend your time living the truth, not looking for it. John 17.17 17 says the word is truth. I think, you know, Man, we could continue this on another episode because it's so important. But what does the Bible say about faith? Let's jump into that, right? You want to hear what the Bible says about faith? 1 John 5, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. There it is, plain and simple, right? Ephesians 6, 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Guess what else is on that list? The shield of faith, right? The shield of faith. Romans 10, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Hebrews 11, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their condemnation. I'm sorry, commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, right? Second Corinthians, for the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's faith, right? Second Corinthians 5, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Matthew 21, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. If you have faith, faith, it's over and over, faith. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. For it is written, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written in Romans 1.17, the righteous shall live by faith. Here's a good one in James 2, right? James 2.19, look this up. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. That should send shivers down your spine, right? You need to understand that. You need to believe that. And you have to have faith that the demons know it and they're scared of it. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. James 1.6 says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the winds. What a great illustration that is, right? To, have, to not have faith is, is to just be thrown back and forth by confusion and, and chaos. Ephesians says, for by grace you're saved through faith. That's, so it's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work so that nobody can boast about it, Right? Think about in Mark when Jesus said, go your way, your faith made you well. And immediately they recovered sight. All things are possible for one who believes. Jesus said that, right? In Matthew, he said, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible. Does that mean physical mountains can be uprooted and thrown into the sea? Does it mean that any obstacle in your way 
that you can speak out against and have faith that God will deliver you from it, anything you're suffering with, anything you're struggling with, anything that's beating you down, that you can ask God to deliver you from that and you believe that he'd do it for you and it's gone. Faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. James 2.17, right? This one, you should, you, sh you should say this one every day. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's faith at its core, right? That's faith at its core. I can do all things. What can I do? I can do all things so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2.5. That tells you that men don't have the answer. You have to have faith that God has the answer. The apostles said to God, increase our faith. They knew how important it was, right? Jesus said, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, take up and thrown into the sea, right? I tell you, whoever, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you received it and you will, it will be yours. We could do a whole series on that, man. Just, just, you know, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events that were unseen uh, in fear, he constructed an art for the saving of his house, right? By this, uh, he condemned the world and became an heir to righteousness that comes by faith, right? Hebrews eleven seven. check that out. First Timothy tells us to fight the good fight of the faith, Right? Romans, again, we are justified by faith and we have peace with God. You want peace, man? You, <laughs> you got to pick up that Bible. You got to open that up and find out what this book says, right? Romans 12, 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Right? And we know that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and the discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's power. You want to know what power is? That's it right there. Read James 1.3. Read Hebrews 4.12. Right? And we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfast. We talked about that on this show on Pillars. When you're, we're going through trials and tribulations, your faith produces steadfast. And when you're steadfast and you start to get up and pull yourself up and, and be encouraged and strengthened, and when you're exercising that muscle of faith, man, you're going to stand out and you're not going to have the same worries you have yesterday, Right? And it says, Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated on the right hand of the throne of God. Right? And here's a good one when you feel down, Psalm 3, 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. The lifter of my head. Right? So those of you that are beat down and you think you're defeated, Man, that says right there, the Lord is the lifter of your head. Man, you're a conqueror. You need to believe this stuff. That's faith. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. 
By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Right? Father, thank you for your unending faithfulness. Thank you that we do have a founder of faith, someone to boldly rely on, someone who never lets us down. Although we use it usually in a time of great need, you know, help us to learn to use it every day and in bold declarations like using expectancy and being prepared for the blessing for that situation to change, to wait upon the food to be delivered, to wait upon the necessities in life to be dealt with. That's exercising our faith. Help us to learn to make it grow little by little, step by step, until we are bold warriors of faith. Have us fully use the shield of faith, that fourth, that fourth piece of armor that, that Paul discusses in Ephesians, uh, the shield of faith. He tells us to take up that shield in order to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Uh, we pray for that level of confidence, for that level of commitment, for that level of boldness to stand and expect that, to stand and rely, to stand and watch the power of Almighty God work in a way that's baffling to us. Father, increase our faith. Let us practice to learn, uh, to, to lean more on you and not our own understanding, for only in you uh, is the perfection of our faith. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Who, man, faith is powerful, right? You know what else is faith? Is uh, the faith that we proclaim, right? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. That's it, man, you're saved. That's faith. Because it's with your heart you believe and you're justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith. And that's what gets you saved. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? I want you to search harder and, and question everything more than ever before. But man, if you're a believer in this faith, uh, you need to know what you're equipped with and how bold you need to become. I mean, it's not easy. This is a day by day, every day you have to do, the, you have to do these things in order to learn, right? And this is, you know, you're not going to stand up and, and just boldly do it. Uh, just one day this is this baby steps you know and and, and we're running out of time and, and you want to be victorious in this life uh, you know there's only one way to be victorious in this life and definitely one way to be victorious in the afterlife and that's Jesus and you need him and all you have to say is, God, I know I'm a sinner and I can't do this. I believe that, you know, you're God and you sent your son Jesus to die in my place. And he took my punishment. He took it for me. I didn't deserve it, but he did. He took it. I accept you into my life. Come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Be the leader in my life. I turn everything to you, right? That's it. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. If you need a Bible, please reach out, man. Psalm 346 Ministries or, or come to the tonguespeaklife.com. Just say, I need a Bible, right? In Jesus' name, all victories. You, you're a conqueror, man. You got to know it. You have to know it. You have access to all the power and victory in Jesus' name. You need to know it, right? Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's faith. Until next time, thank you. And I'll see you then.